Today on Follow Friday, we're going to talk about food fakery, chocolate sculptures, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, glitter bombs, squirrels, and how to take good pictures of your brunch. That's coming up with Ann Reardon from How to Cook That. But first, today's show is brought to you by 24-Hour Homepage. I love this site, and if you like weird internet culture stuff, you will too. Here's the twist. Every second of every day on 24-Hour Homepage, you'll see a different picture, and it repeats on a loop forever. This is the first art project where you can literally own time. So check it out and go reserve your favorite time of day before someone else does. It's at 24hourhomepage.com. That's 24hourhomepage.com. Today is a good day to meet some new friends. Everyone make a way. The show is a buffet of folks you should know. So let's have a soiree. Well, that's enough for a place. I'm Eric Johnson. Welcome to Follow Friday, a podcast about who you should follow online. Every week, I talk to creative people about who they follow and why. This is a guided tour to the best people on the internet, led by your favorite writers, podcasters, comedians, and more. You can help me make Follow Friday for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash followfriday, and you can also support the show for free by telling your friends to listen to it. Today on the show is Anne Reardon, the host of the YouTube channel How to Cook That. On the channel, she shows viewers how to make amazing cakes, macarons, pastries, and more. And she also debunks viral food videos that other people have made, because they are often fake and sometimes actually dangerous. And she's also the author of a brand new cookbook called Crazy Sweet Creations, which you can find wherever you get books. I have a party this weekend, and I am seriously thinking about using Anne's recipe for what she calls the best chocolate cake. (laughs) That is a bold claim. We'll find out how true it is. You can find Anne on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at HowToCookThat, which is all spelled out, and on Patreon at H2CT. Anne, welcome to Follow Friday. Thank you so much for having me, Eric. I'm so excited to have you here. I mentioned the debunking videos that you do, which is how I first found your channel on YouTube. And the videos that you debunk, they are crazy popular. They come from these weird channels like 5-Minute Crafts. There are so many of these videos floating around online. So just before we get into your follows, I was wondering if you could explain just where are these videos coming from and and how did you decide to become a food mythbuster? <laughs> well, predominantly they're coming from content farms. There was interesting dynamics in the fact of the more videos you put up and the more often you put up, then the more the algorithms tend to like that. So, of course, that leans towards countries where you don't have to pay a lot for your content producers and your editors and your everything else because then you can produce a lot more content for a lot less. There are some companies in the US who are doing the same sort of thing and in um, Russia as well, just all over the world, just setting up massive workshops, like rooms as big as you can imagine, just with tables everywhere with cameras pointing straight down and just recording as much food content as they can. So if that's your job, to record as much as you can, 
it's not to look after the audience. It's not to make sure it works. It's to make sure you get the most shares and it goes the most viral. And then for some of them, you even get bonuses if you do that. So if your end goal is simply to get the most views so that you get a bonus, then making up stuff that doesn't actually work is really not an issue in that sort of, if that's your only parameters, if you have no concern for your audience, you're not trying to teach people, you have no moral conscience on that, you're just, well, if they're dumb enough to believe it, who cares? If that's your mindset, then it's quite a dangerous world really. And there's a mixture of people who watch debunking. There's the people who already see those videos and go, that is fake and they're frustrated by it. Like chefs and people who cook a lot can spot it. But then there's the other mixture. I had a, a book signing on the weekend and there was it was half and half of people who said, oh yeah, I was so frustrated by those videos. And the other people who said, oh, thank you because I used to watch them and I believed them all. I thought that they did work. And definitely in the comments, we get people who say, oh, I tried that recipe and it didn't work and I wasted all my ingredients. And particularly young people saying, I thought that it was me. I thought I couldn't cook and I haven't baked since. Cooking is science, so really it's it's not just misinformation because misinformation is you saying, I think this works, but really it doesn't. But you believe that it does. You think that's misinformation. Disinformation is when you know it doesn't work and you're putting it out there as if it does. And so it's disinformation about science for a whole generation coming through who are going to not know how to cook. Yeah, and they look so snazzy and professional, like they could have come from a real reputable source. And so this is a classic disinformation problem where just because something looks the way you'd expect professional videos to look, that doesn't mean they're telling the truth. That doesn't mean they care at all about your safety or about empowering you to learn how to cook anything. Correct. But you're also right there in that the video production quality is very good. The editing's very good. That side of it is well done. So it's a matter of teaching people how to check the source and knowing if the source is reliable. And some people go, oh, well, they did that video and that video works. And that's how disinformation really gets through is if you mix in the disinformation with some truth. If everything you did was fake, then people would know it was fake or they would know it was for comedy. So like a channel like How To Basic, I don't know if you've seen his, but everything starts out as if he's doing out how to and ends up with him throwing eggs at things. Like everybody knows that's comedy. It's not a how to video. It's a different category, but that's not where these fall into. Enough talking about fakes. Let's talk about some real folks who Anne Reardon follows. You can follow along with us today. Every person Anne recommends will be linked in the show notes and in the transcript at followfridaypodcast.com. It's Follow Friday. So, Anne, before the show, I gave you a list of categories. I asked you to tell me four people you follow who fit in those categories. We're going to start with someone who's an expert in a very specific niche that you love, and that's Amari Gishon. I think I'm pronouncing that right, from the Pastry Academy. You can find him on Instagram at Amari Gishon, which is spelled A-M-A-U-R-Y-G-U-I-C-H-O-N. I'm so glad you pronounced his name because I'm not sure how you pronounce it. I've never met him. I just follow him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I, I went I went to like an online pronouncer website and I'm, I'm imitating what they told me there. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I apologize if I got that wrong. But Amari is a pastry chef, but there's one thing in particular he does that is just astounding. Do you want to explain what he is an expert in specifically? 
Sure. He makes amazing chocolate sculptures. So he started out as a savoury chef, training as that when he was 14, and then he quickly swapped over to do pastry chef. Born in Switzerland, went over to France and Paris and did some training there as well. And even as an apprentice, he was winning the awards for the, he won the award for the best pastry chef apprentice in France. And so, and he wasn't even from France. He, he's just, yeah, he's amazing. So the, the chocolate sculptures he does, he was working in Vegas for a while and you could tell he had unlimited budget on the amount of chocolate and these amazing tempering machines, which costs a fortune. Um, and he was just making these amazing sculptures and still does. And they, they look real. Like there's a violin that if you didn't know it was chocolate, you would walk past it thinking it was a violin. Um, he just has some really very creative, realistic stuff, even things like uh, uh, weights, like for weightlifting weights that are made of chocolate. I saw this. This was for Dwayne Johnson's birthday. He made a dumbbell. That's right. It looks so real. I That was the first thing of his I watched, and I was like, that's not chocolate. That, oh, and oh my God, it's chocolate. It's incredible. It is. <laughs> yeah, it's chocolate, and he's got a great lamp. If you look up his Instagram and click on the lamp, because you'll just think it's he's looking at a lamp, but of course it's cake down the bottom and chocolate for the rest of it, and even the globe is made out of sugar. It's, yeah really well done he's very talented <laughs> so do you know from your experience you said that the some of the equipment he's using would cost a fortune but for for something like the the dumbbell or the lamp like how time intensive are these projects do you have a sense of how much time it's taking him to make these these sort of sculptures would this be like something you would do in a day a week a month well, the thing with chocolate, obviously, is you've got time waiting for it to set because chocolate has to be tempered. You have to um, get the temperatures exactly right, which is where a tempering machine helps because he doesn't have to hand temper his chocolate every time. But a dumbbell would probably be one of the easier ones that is done. Like you could do a dumbbell in not not including setting time. You could actually make the components in probably an hour and then just leave it to set, put it together and dust it with the luster dusts or spray it with the spray gun he's got. But things like the lamp, that'd be at least a day, if not two, because you've got baking time in there. He's got a cake in the base as well. So yeah, at least a couple of days there. Yeah, because I was wondering, I mean, some of them are they're like life-size sculptures where you had a, a, like a lion or like a mother and baby sea turtle, all these things where, where I was just wondering, like, is he putting this in the freezer for, for, for a week just to give himself time to do all the details. But it sounds like maybe not. It sounds like if he has the right equipment, he's able to speed up the process quite a bit then. Well, chocolatiers have special rooms that they work in that are at the perfect temperature for them and they can I adjust see. it exactly so that if they want it to be just setting temperature, they can adjust that. If they want it a little bit warmer, they can change it. So for something like a chocolate sculpture, that is really ideal. As someone who works with chocolate a lot and doesn't have that, it really, it swings depending on the temperature of the day, how easy or hard that build is going to be. Uh, whereas if you've got the room that you can set it exactly at, then that works a lot better. But the big sculptures will take, even someone like him, it'll take days because if you pour a large slab of chocolate, you can't just chuck that in the fridge to set or it won't temper properly. Um, most people would be familiar with tempering even if they haven't used chocolate before if you've ever bought chocolate and it looks white on the outside that means it's bloomed so some of the fat or the sugars come to the surface which can happen mm. if it's properly tempered but you don't store it at the right temperature chocolate likes consistency if you put it in the fridge take it out put it in the fridge again it can bloom and go like that it's not off it's just it changes and you don't want your chocolate sculpture looking like that so it's all got to be set at room temperature it's all got to be so it's a bit of a slow process just waiting for things to set. Right. 
Well, as a as a casual non chocolatier here, you know, I can just watch Amari's videos and just be you know amazed by the artistry. But but uh, you are a professional. You've, you've you've made stuff like this. Maybe not quite as as ambitious as the you know the sea turtles or the dumbbell uh, yourself. But but can you talk about uh, what you get out of watching watching his work? Yeah, I mean, I was doing chocolate sculptures on a much smaller scale <laughs> before I found his work and was watching it. I I love the fact that he's taking the time to get someone to film it even because you mm-hmm. can see he's using both his hands. He's got either setting up a, a camera on a stand or often it looks like someone else is filming it and just sharing the process because a lot of people don't share their processes and I think that that's what amazes people. If you just show the lamp, people will go, that's a lamp. I remember early on when I showed a, a handbag cake on Instagram, people are like, that's not a cake, it's a handbag. I'm right. like, no, it's a cake. And so <laughs> I made it myself, I promise you, it's a cake. It's a cake, <laughs> that's right. So from then on I knew I had to share a photo of it cut as well as a photo of it as a cake. So it's a bit the same with his chocolate sculptures. They're so perfect. You need that um, how-to process, even though it's not the whole thing, it's just some of it, in order to go, oh, wow, like he made a spring out of chocolate that's actually springy, like <laughs> to be able to see that come together. I, th- I think it's art. I think he's an artist uh, and his chosen medium is chocolate. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about it sort of in the terms of a magic trick, where the whole thing with a magician, right, is they don't show you how it's done. It's just supposed to be, you know, mystical, and you're left guessing, how did that person get from there to there? Where where did those doves come from or whatever? But actually, watching some of his videos, seeing the process, seeing the video of how it's done makes it just even more impressive, because as, as you're saying, it is craftsmanship, it is artistry, so. Exactly. He is very talented at what he does. Well, that was Amari Gishan, who is on Instagram at Amari Gishan. It's Final Friday. And let's move on to your next follow. I asked you for someone who inspires you, and you said Mark Rober, who is on YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at Mark Rober. And that's spelled M-A-R-K-R-O-B-E-R. He's a former NASA and Apple engineer who has had several viral video hits. Even though I didn't subscribe to his YouTube channel before this, I realized right away, oh, I've seen this guy already. (laughs) So explain what Mark does and and why you say he inspires you. Sure. Uh, Several things that he inspires me. And he, he, as you said, has several viral videos. I think he actually is the YouTuber who has the most average views per video across all his videos. So he, he is very good at the playing the algorithm game, having things that are clickbait um, so that people will click on them. But the content is good and entertaining. And, I mean, he did a squirrel maze in his backyard during lockdown, which sounds like if most of us, if you haven't seen the video and you're thinking of a squirrel maze, you might be thinking of a maze on the floor, but it's like this 3D contraption in the air, (laughs) filmed beautifully, narrated well, tells a story really well. I think for me, when I started, I started on YouTube 10 years ago, and back then you didn't get paid for doing videos. I was simply doing them to teach people how to make the cake or how to make the dessert. It's simply a how-to video. And due to algorithm changes over those 10 years, you really need to be entertaining and you have to have a clickbait thumbnail and that's really hard in food but I think that he nails that in every single one of his videos and I think they're so entertaining to watch they've got that narrative flowing the whole way through them and it's got that science background he's a, he's an expert in his field being an engineer a mechanical engineer the stuff he makes is just amazing and it, I, most people are probably familiar with his glitter bomb package. Where yeah, he made, that's one of the ones I had definitely seen. Right. Explain what those are. So he made a glitter bomb, which is essentially a 
fake package, well, it is a package, that he would put on a doorstep of his house or a friend's house when people were stealing packages when they're delivered on people's doorstep. And then inside, if you slide the lid off, it explodes glitter everywhere and <laughs> hidden on the the very inside is four iPhones with cameras in them so that no matter which way the person opens it, it's being filmed and uploaded to the cloud. Now, of course, that's quite an expensive package. So in order to retrieve the package, he has a GPS system so he knows where it is and the glitter bomb squirts out fart spray so that it stinks <laughs> and people toss it and get rid of it. So it increases his chance of getting it back. And so just the the whole ingenuity of thinking of the idea but then being able to make that, like most of us couldn't make that, his engineering's coming in there, but then to film it in a way that's entertaining as well. Like that could easily be a really long, boring video, but if you actually sit down and look at the actual production and how he's decided to give that to us and present it to us to watch it, it it's really skillfully done. I think he's amazing on many levels, on the video production side of it, the filming and the just the storytelling side of it. I mean, yeah, just to speak to, to Merck's um, engineering chops, he also worked on the Curiosity River, which is literally on Mars. So right. this, is, this, is a, this is a guy who, who sent stuff into space, who, who is applying that same level of, of expertise to making farting glitter bombs, which I really <laughs> admire. I admire and respect that so much. Um, well, that, it's actually been picked up. Like he's working, I think, with the FBI, he said now, on um, intercepting, really? yeah, intercepting parcels. You know, when people have online scams and there's generally scamming elderly elderly people and saying oh no you've I've accidentally transferred $20,000 to you instead of $200 and now you need to give me that money back or I'm going to lose oh. my job and really they've overtaken your computer screen and they're showing them their bank account looking like that when it's not true and the person puts the money in the envelope and sends off 20000 and in the mail wow. they're swapping the packages out for glitter bombs. So they'll grab the $20,000 <laughs> package off the postman, put the glitter bomb in and then they can track where it goes and they film the whole operation. Hey, it's a GPS. It's got the GPS and it's also got the cameras that are filming when they open the package. So then all of a sudden they've got footage of the whole, again, it's a big floor space with lots of desks and lots of people working on these scams. So they've suddenly got evidence that the police can then use. And yeah, very interesting. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I realized, so yeah, I'd seen the Glitter Bomb videos for sure, which he does every Christmas. I think every year he's sort of iterating on making them even more advanced. And then uh, there's also one that, and I'd seen the squirrel mazes, and there's another one that he had done about carnival scams, like the the games you play at at a carnival or or the video games you play in a video game arcade and how they are designed to trick you into thinking that they're easier than, than they are. Do you have any other favorites from his channel that you've seen? Oh, so many. I, I liked one he did a while ago. Every year he does To Save the World, something that's that's in the brackets on the on the end of it. But he did one that was explaining some engineers who do, they make medical devices that normally are not accessible to people who live in poverty. So, for example, if, if you suspected you had malaria, we would get a blood test and it would go into a centrifuge to spin the blood and then it would go under a microscope. Well, the centrifuge and the microscope both require power and thousands of dollars. So if you're out in poverty in the middle of nowhere, that's not a possibility. So these engineers, their job is to create as cheap as possible way of doing that test to save people's lives. Because often by the time they've got enough symptoms that they know it is malaria, for example, they then have to walk three days to the hospital and they are no longer alive in that time. So if you can 
diagnose it earlier, they can walk three days in the early stages of malaria and then they can get to hospital, get treatment and it saves their life. So they'd invented this crazy little glass ball thing which acted as the microscopic bit and two pieces of cardboard and some string which spun it like when you're pulling it out a bit like the kids toys when you twist the string and pull it out and it spins really fast and they could see from a little drop of blood whether the person had malaria or not like they've just taken something that wow. would have cost tens and tens of thousands and they've got it down to two dollars per test and they said that every zero you add on the end of the cost of those tests is just making it inaccessible for hundreds of thousands of people and I just think Wow, like what a thing to put your ingenuity to. Like how good is that? That is incredible. I mean, that's the thing is I think some some channels, they are in the lane of we're just making fun videos, as you're saying, which are well-designed for the algorithm, that are entertaining, that do kind of silly stuff. But I love it when you have a channel like this with someone who's clearly very smart, very talented, who is putting those skills to, to a good use. I, I love, you know, generous, you know, and, and thoughtful, uh, thoughtful people online. This is a, a great recommendation. Well, that was Mark Rober, who was on YouTube at Mark Rober. We're going to take a quick break now, but we'll be back in a minute with Ann Reardon from How to Cook That. Today's show is brought to you by 24-Hour Homepage. Like I told you before, this is the first art project where you can literally own time. Every second of every day, you get a different picture. So sometimes it'll be a cool webcomic you should check out, or an artist who makes really original t-shirts, or a plugin for your browser that you should be using. Or around 33 seconds after 4.33 p.m. Pacific time every day, maybe you'll see an ad for a really neat podcast about who you should follow online. Hmm. The point is, once you buy a couple seconds out of the day, that time belongs to you forever. Every day at that time, whatever pictures you choose to put there will reappear for everyone. So whether you want to tell a story, promote a business, leave a memorial for someone, or just make people laugh, you should check them out at 24hourhomepage.com. That's 24hourhomepage.com. It's Final Friday. Welcome back to Follow Friday. And I asked you to tell me about someone super talented who's still under the radar. And you said Joni Simon, who's an educator and a food photographer. She's on Instagram and YouTube at The Bite Shot. So if I'm not mistaken, Joni is the photographer for your book, Crazy That's Sweet correct. Creations. Is that right? Yeah. yeah found that, her on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I was about to ask. So yeah, so you found her just through watching her YouTube channel? Yes, I've been watching her YouTube channel for quite a while and I just loved there was something I couldn't put my finger on with her photos, but now that she also has a book, she has a book called Picture Perfect Food, and I've bought that book and read it cover to cover. It's amazing. And I think the thing I couldn't put my finger on is she has a qualification in fine art. So it's the placement of things. Like if you showed me two photos side by side, I could say, yes, that one looks better. But she could tell you that one looks better and why. And if you gave her the first poorer composition, she could just move it around and make it look good. Whereas the rest of us just keep moving it around, taking a photo, moving it around, trying to make it look good. She knows. She just knows what is going to look good as far as placement. She just has all that composition side of it in her head somehow. <laughs> right. She's a bit of a genius when it comes to food photography. And she has a channel on YouTube and I think she should have way more followers and way more subscribers because she is 
brilliant at what she does and if I think a lot of what she does you could use in other areas of photography not just food but she talks a lot about it doesn't you don't have to have the best camera like she does whole videos on how to take things with an iPhone and how to set up this and how to use just one light and so I like the fact that she doesn't say you need to have again a hundred thousand dollars worth of photography and lighting equipment to take this photo she'll show you you can do this if you get your composition and your lighting using natural light and just your iPhone, like it's very accessible. That's the thing. Yeah, the equipment has never been cheaper to to start taking photos of things. But someone like like her, where she has a very clear, you know, artistic eye for for how to how to position things, how to use light, all everything you're talking about. There's still a big barrier there that I think stumps a lot of people when they try to if they're trying to impress their friends on Instagram or whatever. You know, this it's it's much harder than it sounds. <laughs> it is. It's it sounds like it'll be easier than you take a photo and go. Well, why? How have they got the steam in their shot? And steam just doesn't show up when we take a photo. She's got a whole video on how to capture steam. I saw and that. Then, yeah. yeah. And then even in her book, she's got a whole chapter on composition and layout. I learned so much looking at that, which is good for video as well, not just photography. I feel like I, she's, even though she just does food photography, she's taught a lot to me about videography, which she probably doesn't know. Um, but yeah, <laughs> and she's a lovely person. So I just like, she was a, a dream to work with. She's just a beautiful person. Yeah, talk about how that worked, like working with her, because I assume that you were writing your cookbook uh, during COVID, like while you were not able to travel, right? And while she, and I think she's based in Arizona, so she presumably wasn't traveling. So, so what was the process for, for the two of you collaborating uh, for Crazy Sweet Creations? Correct. Well, we're still not allowed to travel in Australia. We have an international travel ban, so we're still stuck here. <laughs> we can't right. go anywhere. Well, we probably could leave, but we wouldn't be allowed to come back. So that could be an issue. Um, so yeah, so... The way it worked with Joni was I spoke with her and not fortunately because of COVID, but the only good thing from COVID was we were able to get a top pastry chef from a hotel who was out of work because the hotel was shut to mm. do the cooking, so to remake the recipes. And on the chocolate cake note, he said, uh, that's the best chocolate cake I've ever had. I'm going to use that recipe now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's another endorsement. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so he would recreate them. Some of them I would be on a Zoom call with him for, like the sugar bowls. I wanted the, a particular colouring on it. So I was just chatting with him over Zoom while he was making it, saying, can you put that drop of colour on that side of the pan and that side and then pour it straight and just explaining it as we went, which was good fun. And then um, Joni would initially for the first photos, like every photo she'd send me the layout with say there was a, a dessert in the middle, she'd have a something similar coloured screwed up piece of paper in the middle so he could kind of picture what it was going to look like and I would approve the layout so I'd say that one, that dessert looks better photographed from the top so can we keep that layout for a different one, swap it out, all that sort of thing. And then, um, yeah, some of them I was on Zoom for the actual photo and then after a while once we'd kind of, she knew what I liked, I knew, was confident exactly in what she was doing, we basically just pre-approved the layouts and went from there. This may be an impossible question to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway, which is obviously all of her photos are great in the book. None of them are bad, but do you have a favourite? Surprisingly, I really like the carrot cake one. I don't know why. That's not my husband's favourite one, but I really like it. There's <laughs> something about that one that I like. I also like there's one of the shoe pastry that was just unfilled before you get to the actual crock and bush, and the lighting on that 
is just beautiful. Like it's a really simple photo, but it just, I don't know, it just captures like you actually could just pick one up and eat it. There's there's so many photos in there I like. Even the, the photos at the beginning, which are just like the title pages, which a lot of the photos, I made it hard for it because I said uh, what I would like is for any of the recipes that don't fill the page completely, I want the writing to go over the photo. Uh, so I had to send her then a template for each one of um, how much room had to be completely blank oh, in the photo. Right. So it makes the layout a lot harder because normally you can zoom in or zoom out on a photo because they're such high quality. But if you need a specific sized space for writing, you then can't zoom in and zoom out anymore. So you have to get it right. So it was a bit of a huh. challenge, but she handled that challenge perfectly. So. Oh, that's amazing. That was Joni Simon, who's on Instagram and YouTube at The Bite Shot. It's Final Friday. We have time for one more follow today. I asked you for someone who makes you think, and you said Reid Hoffman, who is a venture capitalist uh, near where I live in Silicon Valley, uh, previously the CEO of LinkedIn, among many other things. He's on Twitter and LinkedIn at Reid Hoffman, which is spelled R-E-I-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N. But the thing that you mentioned in your email that you specifically follow is his podcast, Masters of Scale. Talk about this podcast and, and why it makes you think. Correct. So Masters of Scale, I have listened to and picked out different ones on and off over a long time. I just love, because he is who he is, uh, obviously being involved with LinkedIn, he has the pull to be able to have whoever he wants on his podcast. So the people that he interviews are people who you'd never usually get access to. So I mean, he has everyone on there from, I don't know, Barack Obama and Bill Gates and um, everyone, basically anyone in business, any founders of any big startups, the, the lady who started Canva, all the different ones are all on there. But he also does um, podcasts as well about specific business things and he'll pull, like if he's trying to teach one thing, he'll pull on the pool of all the podcasts he's done, examples from the different people. It's it's really well produced, a bit like your one is very well produced, this podcast is nice and pleasant to listen to and he just has that pool power of having amazing guests where you can really hear a lot of the stories and the, the things they go through and just things I haven't thought about before, like some of the businesses that have turned 100 years old and that there's not actually a lot of them. A lot of companies fold before then. And one of the underlying things that a lot of the ones that lasted that long was that they were family companies. And the reason being there is they can handle the hard times. So they're happy to take a pay cut and work for virtually nothing to get the company through a bad year. Whereas if that was not your personal family company, you might go, yeah, I'm going to move on and do something else and get paid properly this <laughs> right. year. So it's, it, I thought stuff like that is just little things that you never think about that really are quite interesting. And there's little nuggets of gold in everything. And obviously I don't, I don't have a startup. I'm not wanting to start some digital startup, but I just find it fascinating to listen to all these people who've had success in such varied areas in such completely different ways. But being able to listen to how they did it is really interesting. And I bet there are some transferable lessons that you can apply to your own your own business, your own you know YouTube channel and the book sales and things like that. Do you remember anything? Is there anything that, that jumps out in your memory of something that you were able to transfer in that way that you were able to you know translate from these big tech businesses and in, into you know making your own work better, more successful? Sure. Well, one thing um, 
I know the guy from Airbnb, his name escapes me, the guy who started that. Brian Chesky. That's the one. When he started out, he said that he really wanted feedback from the clients, which is something obviously on YouTube we get the privilege of having that direct interaction, but he didn't have that. So he decided that they would offer a free photography package to the people who were opening up their house. So this is early on, obviously, not now. Right, right. Um, <laughs> so the people who were saying, yes, we'll put our house on Airbnb, they offered, we'll send a professional photographer over to take the photos for you. So he went with the photographer. So he actually mm. didn't say, I'm the founder and da, 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 da. He just went along with the photographer so he could talk with the people and ask them about the barriers to them opening their house or the positive things about it or any negative experiences. So just getting that conversational feedback hmm. gave him a lot of ideas. And he said one house he went into, the person went, oh, yeah, this is what I reckon you should do with Airbnb and had this whole roadmap of <laughs> the business plan of what he should do with it and stuff like that. So <laughs> just actually there's a lot of people out there who want people people to succeed and will give you good advice and I feel like that's definitely been the case over the years on YouTube of people giving us advice on whether it be sound or whether it be you should do this and some of it obviously we have everyone has access to give us advice so some of it you have to filter and go yeah maybe not but other things things like the debunking videos people send them to me now like they just send me stuff on Twitter of stuff they want me to debunk they're going I'm not sure if this works does it work doesn't it work so just interacting with the people who are the people you're serving and being able to get their feedback and their interaction and let them help you build it is really important. I think like you guys started a Patreon page, that's invaluable. Like people have ownership then of it and they are happy to get involved and that always surprises me. I'm like, why would people do that? Like we have a Patreon page. I'm like, why would people do that? They're just so lovely. Like people are so supportive <laughs> and it, I, I think it's a blessing. Yeah, I was, I was going to say initially when you were talking the story about Brian Chesky going to incognito to the, these early Airbnb host homes, I was like, wait a minute, you can't do that. You're the star of this channel. People know what you look like. But but no, people, <laughs> but the, the fact that the, you're, you're transferring, the, the getting the feedback from, from people far and wide, I, I think that's, that's wonderful and, and well put. Another question kind of tangentially related to Reed Hoffman and to Masters of Scale, which is that, you know, I'm here surrounded by tech. Some might say drowning in it. I'm, I'm literally in the neighborhood of one of Mark Zuckerberg's many homes. And I'm just kind of curious, you know, you're in, you're in Melbourne, is that right? That's Australia? correct, yes. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm just kind of curious how, how, you, how you feel about, you know, all these big, mostly American technology companies and in sort of the how they've grown and become these very powerful forces uh, these days. I don't know. Do you, do you have any particular feeling about just how they are changing everything, how people, how entrepreneurs and investors like Reid Hoffman are, you know, changing the world for everyone? I think that it's actually America incubates America, like we've got friends who run uh, the company Bug Crowd and they're from Sydney and they, of course, moved to Silicon Valley because that's where you get the funding to be able to get that sort of thing off the ground. Like, right. And now that it's, once it's big in America, then people in Australia are like, oh, wow, it's big. But the, you'd never get the support that you need to get it off the ground here with the exact same idea. And I think it's similar in a lot of countries, which was something I heard also on Masters of Scale. They were talking about it in another country. I can't remember who was referring to it, but they were saying that in Silicon Valley, I know that it's very competitive and all of that makes sense. But if they think that yours is a good idea, it's like putting it into a fish tank 
with the bigger fish and the bigger fish helping out the little fish, hoping they'll become also a big fish and they've got a part in it. Whereas in a lot of other countries, it's like putting the little fish in with sharks and they just eat them. They're, they're not incubating. <laughs> they're not helping. They're just, no, we don't want you. We don't want your competition out. You go or you're, you're, you're no good. So I feel like there's a reason why it is centralized around Silicon Valley and around some of those areas is because I think that it's been seen before that you can go from small to massive if you've got the right idea. And it's not going to happen every time, obviously. So it's not just a walk in the park and everyone's going to come and fund you because your idea might not be one of those ideas, incredibly competitive and all the rest. But I feel like there is potential there of if people see your idea as an actual good one, they're going to incubate that and grow it and help it do well. So I think there's a reason why they're all centralised over there. And a lot of them are not necessarily started by an American, but that's just, mm-hmm. if you're going to incubate them, then that's that's, that's how. where to start, yeah. yeah. Also, the US has a huge English-speaking population as well. It'd be the same like on my YouTube channel. The majority of my subscribers are US. That's the mm-hmm. biggest audience, despite the fact I'm in Australia, just because of the sheer volume of people. So it, it does make sense that uh, it's based there. That was Reid Hoffman, the host of the podcast Masters of Scale. If you want to hear another follow recommendation from Anne, you can get it by supporting Follow Friday on Patreon starting at just $1 a month. If you go to patreon.com slash follow Friday and back us there, you'll get a bonus mini-sode later today. And the patron of the week is Elizabeth, so shout out to Elizabeth for backing us on Patreon. Thank you. And thank you so much for sharing your follows with us today. Uh, Before we go, let's make sure listeners know how to find you online. Where do you want them to follow you? And uh, one more time, tell people where to find your book. Sure. So it's YouTube and it's How to Cook That, all one word. And the book is Crazy Sweet Creations. It's available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and all the bookstores. It's actually officially released in stores last weekend. So it's actually out there. Wonderful. Well, follow me on Twitter at HeyHeyESJ and this show on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Follow Friday Pod. Follow Friday's theme music was written by me and performed by Yona Marie. Our show art was illustrated by Dodie Hermerwan. That's all for this week. This is Eric Johnson reminding you to talk about people behind their backs. And when you do, say something nice. See you next Friday. One more time, thank you to 24hourhomepage.com for sponsoring this episode of Follow Friday. I was talking with Justin, the engineer who made the site, and he describes it as a 24-hour movie dedicated to internet culture. I love that. There are only 86,400 seconds in a day, and a bunch of those have already been claimed. So if you want to take part in this really cool art project, you should hop on over to 24hourhomepage.com. That's 24hourhomepage.com. Thank you.